0: Okay. Hey, Culture Hackers, it's Robert Richman back with you with another episode, and we are here with Mark from Arkimoto. I'm really excited to talk about this because um, this is a fascinating business of an FUV, a new category creation here, fun utility vehicle, two-seat, three-wheeled electric vehicle that we're going to get into. Welcome to the show, Mark. Robert, hey, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. So we're going to get into it on, on two levels. One is I think what's so interesting about this that I wanted to talk to you about it is that you're really, you know, launching a business is one thing, as you know, it's hard, but creating a category is a whole next level. And um, I'm I'm curious, did you think about that as that going into it or was it just this passionate focus and and that just it happens to be creating a new field around
1: this well so i should be clear the fun utility vehicle is is not a category it is a product so right right but what i'm
0: saying is, is it doesn't really product. exist outside of Arkimoto, right
1: and that was that was the intent though yep. was that, that when so when i when i started and it was this is this is 2007 mm. uh, I, I went looking for something that didn't exist which mm. was just like a reasonable everyday ride yeah. Um, and I, I, I had sold a software company in March of that year. And I was like, OK, I don't have a car. I've got a bicycle, but sometimes a more sedentary mode of transport is necessary. Um, went looking for something electric, something human scale, something affordable. Um, and I just I couldn't find it. Uh, and then I went to a parade later that summer and I saw this little three-wheeler ripped by called the buggy designed by a guy named Mark Murphy about 10 miles to the south. Um, and it was just, that was just like, you know, moment of seeing this, the, the gap, right? The, the, in the transportation space, there was this just, and I, it, it was kind of shocking that I hadn't actually seen that gap before, just the disparity of, of size in, in the market opportunities. And here was this little three-wheel reverse trike thing, giant grins on the face of the drivers, electric. And I was just like, that's, there. how is there nothing in the market in this gap? There is an opportunity here um, that, uh, you know, and coming from software, I was like, so, you know, bought a kit uh, from him and uh, got some of my mechanically inclined friends to help put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, of course, thought, well, you know, Probably take about six months to come up with a market viable, ready product, ready to go, conquer the world. Um, it's taking a little bit longer than that, but that's that's sort of how it began. It was definitely, look, it, 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 was, it wasn't like, I wasn't necessarily trying to create a new category. It was just filling an insane void. Mm, got it. And how, at what point did you know there was a, a market fit for it? Uh, so, so sort of triangulating on the market fit took seven years, mm. right? It was because it was, uh, what we started with was a one seat, uh, rear wheel drive had, uh, I mean, it was, it was, it, it, it was in the direction of the answer. Um, but it, but it, once we got it put together, it was like, well, this isn't going to be a mass market solution. Um, and so that that was what started kind of the iteration process. I've, I would say the first the first seven years was was sort of like a, a binary search through the field of three wheeled electric reverse trikes, and it was um, it, it was understanding what you know part of it we, we would basically like, you know build a prototype, put it in front of people, and say what do you think? Would you buy this thing? Right? And for how much would you buy this thing? And, and all the while, the mission was we got to get it to the point where anyone can afford it because the mission is sustainable transportation and you don't get to sustainability unless you've got affordability and wide adoptability. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we put things in front of the market, then people are like, oh, no, I wouldn't buy that thing. It needs to have this and this and this and this and this. It needs to be able to carry two people. It needs to you know, be able to go on all the roads. It's got to have a certain amount of range and so, so the first part of it was like, if you, if you look back on kind of the history page of Arcamoto, the, the first like seven nice tries, they, get, they, they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as, as we learn from the market what the market would require. Um, and then the breakthrough was delivering on those really herd needs in a way that, that was was really compact, lightweight, on the target of the mission got it were there were any of those needs surprising to you um not you know when i started i was just thinking well i you know almost everybody drives alone all the time so you know one seat electric thing that takes you where you want to go but that one was um and actually there were there were a, a couple of guys who were the uh, creators of a, a vehicle called the gizmo um that actually was here in eugene it was another three-wheeled reverse strike back in the 90s um, and they, they sort of came up to me and they're like, if, uh, if we can tell you just one thing, just one thing, make sure it has two seats, you know? And in retrospect, that's totally obvious because when you get your, when you get the keys to your new fun thing, when I showed off, you're like, Hey, Hey, Robbie, uh, just pulled up to your house. Um, here are the keys. You know, it's like, you know, you want to be like, Hey, jump on, let's mm-hmm. go for a ride, check it out. Right. So that, that even, even though we drive alone almost all the time, that ability to take another passenger was was a really critical thing. To, you know, It took a couple of years for it to get through uh, my brain. Um, but uh, there, there were other things. I mean, even just the, the, the it's just a, a lot of sticky wickets, a lot of tricky design and packaging problems primarily. Got it. So seven years development on that,
0: there had to be points in time where you thought this just is not going to make it right.
1: Yeah. Well, I think for those first seven years, I I was like 99% thought we were probably totally screwed, you know, but I, every time I would get, so every time I kind of wanted to quit, I couldn't quit because we had resources to do what we wanted to do. And then every time we didn't have the resources, there was always like one more thing to try. Right. And I would also I just sort of like look around at the world and go, well, um, has anyone else cracked this problem yet? That is fundamentally critical to be cracked. And nobody had. So um, might as well keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what were your influences around that? I don't even know if the, the book probably wasn't even around zero to one by Peter Thiel, but were there, were there things that, that helped you out in terms of the psychology of being able to do this?
1: Uh, I, so I, I, I actually read zero to one. I, I, I think I got turned onto that book in probably 2017 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, great book. Yeah. Getting, getting to one is tough mm-hmm. um, in, in vehicles. 1 to n is actually also very very tough. Um so getting to the right idea is is just only the first first step of the battle. Um I think for me uh it was I think it, the, probably the, what really kept me going is just really caring about it. You know, yeah. I I the I started it because it, it just opened the front door and looked at the world and said, you know, we're we're in a real pickle with the climate and if we don't solve this problem we're all toast and 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 I think that that and I, I also just I don't like to quit mm-hmm.
0: yeah but I mean at some point there's was there ever like big money concerns about that or there was always money
1: to keep going <laughs> <laughs> uh, very funny very funny uh no so I so I started with uh, uh, the the my, my ill-gotten gains from the gaming industry um, and i uh, Ran out of ran out of those proceeds in 2009. So that was my first experience in my life, actually trying to fundraise for something. Um, so I went down to Silicon Valley, uh, Sand Hill Road, in September of 2009. If you can recall back what September of 2009 was like, in both the financial market, the venture world, and then uh, the fact that you'd had all of these early, you know, the first kind of wave of venture-backed EV. Uh, was, was in the process of collapsing at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I basically got laughed out of every office on Tannehill because I was this you know, game designer with a, with a freaky looking 3 wheel vehicle prototype. And they're like, uh, no. Um, so that, that began the, uh, the friends and family push. And then uh, you know had to make new friends and family stopped returning phone calls, but uh, sort of grounded out for another six years through all kinds of you know uh, you know over over the line, I and I well I mean they are anecdote after anecdote, uh, but it wasn't until 2015 when um, when Bill Hambrecht through his third venture fund actually cut us our our first real Series A check, and when uh, our 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 Silicon Valley lawyer at Fenwick uh, and West said you know if you actually close this round. Um, that will be the longest running, successfully closed Series A in the history of Fenwick and West, which, uh, which we did close. Mm-hmm. And that, that was what allowed uh, um, Arkimoto to build the Generation 8 first looks like, works like prototypes. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, Bill was, through, through W.R. Hambrecht, was the one who took us public uh, using uh, Regulation A uh, listed on NASDAQ in order to build out our first production facility. Got it. And and was everybody on board with that, or were you pushed early to go public, or how did that work? Uh, well, so so Bill, it, well, it wasn't a it wasn't a push. I mean, I think had I known what I was getting into, he would have had to push a lot harder. Um, but but so so you think about what? Uh, so Bill was one of a half of Hamburg and Quist um, back in the day, and this was this was the uh, bank that took Apple public. Uh, designed Google's Dutch auction IPO, Amazon, Intel, Adobe, and what what Bill related to me was that in the you know in the '80s when they took Adobe public, I think it was a six million dollar public raise uh, to build what is now a you know multi billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. But through the through the late '80s and '90s and the tech boom, the 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 ability to go public just kept getting farther and farther away. You know, companies would wait longer and longer. The process became more expensive and more onerous. Um, and so all of that value creation that is in the in the kind of the, you know, once the the early ideas are proven and the the real building of the company, um, all of that value creation just went to the venture world and the public had no ability to participate in it at all. And so what what Bill did with a a number of other folks is worked uh, on the JOBS Act and the changes to Regulation A that was specifically so that smaller companies could go public earlier um, and enjoy the the benefits of being public, which are access to different types of financing tools and and so on. And, And I think also as a vehicle company, it is, it is actually a, a good thing to be a public company in terms of the level of disclosure, um, the, the, uh, the discipline on, on finance and, and reporting and all that. Um, so, and, and particularly in Arkimoto's case, we are a public company with a public mission. Mm-hmm. And so the ability for people who believe in what we are trying to do and, and think that we're on the right track, for them to be able to support that, not just as customers, but actually as stakeholders, I think is a really critical thing.
0: Yeah. So you go public, you get some money in there to really uh take it to the next level and then with with it being public, obviously the price can fluctuate a lot and and what does that do to the company, especially to the culture of the
1: company? Wait, let me check the ticker right now. Uh <laughs> no, kidding. Uh it's it's I think it's a it, it can be a distraction. Uh it can certainly be, you know, when when things are when the, when the rocket ship's going up, it's like everyone's stoked um I, but I, I try to encourage as much as possible people to remember that this is a long game. We are still not yet to the promised land um but that uh you know and so uh but yeah if you if you, if you get in early with you know on the at, the at a low price that's certainly an upside for for folks yeah, yeah and so
0: you've you've recently rolled out. Core values and, and how's that been going?
1: And thank you, by the way, for your sage advice. Pleasure, uh, pleasure. It's uh, it, the we we really so I I I sort of laid down the the core values at the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. which were are pretty close to the beginning. Our first three values were continuous improvement, environmental efficiency, and fun. Um, and then at the uh, about a year ago, um, as we got more and more people on board. Um, Some folks in the company said, "You know, we really want to make this a, we really want to get this piece of it right. Like what what is our agreement with each other um, about how we're going to relate to one another, how we're going to operate within the company, how we're going to represent the brand. Uh, And so we did a lot of work over the course of the last year to really refine those statements of values. I mean, even for people who don't believe in the mission of the company, but just want to build great rides um, and want to work together in, in a way that's effective. Uh, and what, what I found through that exercise is just, as, 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 as we've sort of refreshed and reiterated those, what, what are our shared agreements, that things have just really, really, really started to click. And it's, it's, been, it's been beautiful to watch.
0: Very cool. Like what's, what's a beautiful thing you've
1: watched as a result? Oh, uh, it's, I think it's a lot of it comes down to the way that we communicate with each other primarily and show up for each other. Um, that the, what, what had tended to be things like, you know, people sort of throwing up blockers or, you know, we'll solve that next week or let's set a meeting. You know, it's, there's, there's a lot more hustle, uh, a lot more teamwork, a lot of let's, um, I, I was, I, I was turned on to an acronym the other day, of Win. what's important now. Hmm. So I don't know if you've, if you've heard the win acronym, but mm-hmm. that, that one is, that one's really critical because there's, there's always, um, in, in, in crafting something with a, a team of, Uh, of 20, then 50, then 75, then 200, but you're thinking, you know, ultimately this is, we're aiming to be a global scale venture, solving a major problem in very short order. Um, Getting people, getting, getting a large organization to really speak the same language and hold each other to the same account is absolutely critical through growth. Very cool. Very cool.
0: So one of the lines you said last time we talked was you said you had all these business ideas and you thought I could do a bunch of them and I'll definitely fail or I could do one and I'll yeah. probably fail and but I'll that do was- that one. And I thought that was a great uh, it's funny. It's it's a humble thing to say. It also reminds me of Elon Musk, who said with uh, with with SpaceX, he said, you know what, I'm probably going to fail and it's worth doing it anyway. Um, and that kind of big goal plus humble rationality i think creates a space for to to develop something great um i'm curious it was, what it was, yeah.
1: it was the truth i mean in, in, <laughs> right, in that, right. that was that was 2009 i had you know when you it, I, I the analogy i use is if you if the very first time you play baseball you step up to the plate and somehow the bat connects with the ball and it goes out of the park mm-hmm. you you think oh i'm a great baseball player right and so that was kind of the uh, the experience of, of Garage Games, which was the first company where we, you know, we all kicked in ten grand apiece in two thousand one and exited in two thousand seven for a, a much bigger number uh, through a, what was really a lifestyle oriented gaming company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I at, at that point I was I was I was good with code, but I had no clue what to do with money. Um, but I did have that irrational exuberance of the first exit, uh, without really trying too hard. And so, in that po- at that point, I started six different endeavors, kind of at the same time. One of which was Arkimoto. And by 2009, I had, you know, was basically out of cash, and all of them, I just realized, I'm going to have to close down. E- either, either I don't close down anything, and then they all just immediately fail, or I'm going to have to close down five of six. And then whatever I choose will likely fail. Um, and so I picked the hardest one, which was Arkimoto, but it was also the one that was like sort of really, really driving the heartbeat. Um, yeah. And
0: yeah. Very cool. I'm curious what, if you have... Um, driving principles that, that you've learned that that, that keep you focused or, or or just driven or making the right decisions. So for example, one, when I was launching Zappos Insights at, at, uh, at Zappos, Tony gave me a quote that really helped me with decision making. He said, um, you know, he's quoting somebody else, but said, most companies don't die of starvation um, from getting too little. They die of indigestion from trying to do too much. So every time I thought about a new business line, I remembered that quote that would haunt me and be like, nope, no, nope, nope don't like, like really keep that focus, master this one element before I go to something else. And that quote kept echoing in my mind as I built the business. And I'm curious if there are principles or quotes or things that help guide your, your, your strategic decision-making through this process.
1: Uh, The, the uh, one quote that always comes back to me is uh, from, from my first yoga teacher, she would just say, perfection is just a direction, right? So that, that it's, perfection is about where you're aiming right now it's not where you get to because mm. by the time you step down the road you're going to you're going to adjust your aim a little bit um, uh, as you go uh, i also i went to a, a lecture from bert rutan um uh, who is a you know legendary aircraft designer um he's scaled composites and spaceship one and he gave a talk at the university of oregon and said, so, you know the first most important thing to do is identify the goal, you know what are you actually really trying to solve, um, but I the the growth of what, when you when you talk about you know what Tony was talking about, um, I think one of the real saving graces of Arkimoto is that we have been constrained by capital um, throughout you know throughout the throughout the growth of the company, which has really forced us to. Hone each piece of the business model before stepping off in the wrong direction. I mean, if I had gotten venture funding in 2009 with our third-generation prototype idea, you know that, that that the the venture cash push to just push, spend, you know, market it, whatever. Um, it you know, I, I think it would have very likely have failed. Right, just it, it would it, because we would have been pushing in not the right direction and so
0: yeah did you use any any methodologies there's you know lean startup type of techniques um, any anything that you used as a framework to help you entrepreneurially
1: um I, I'm certainly aware I was, I've been aware of the the startup venture I've been in the software world for a, a long time and so um, you know whether it's scrum methodology or uh, just you know tips and tricks of the silicon valley masters mm-hmm. uh, have certainly been a part of that school uh but but not not i guess I, I wouldn't say there's any one particular ideology that i've ascribed to got it got it
0: what are there parts of what would you say are some of the interesting inside bits of of the story to me there's um pivots are always interesting how some of the best software, for example, came out of a need that they scratched their own itch. And then they 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 pivoted that way. I think, you know, with the Zappos story, something that we didn't really share, or get talked about is, you know, we became well known for being a number one customer service brand. And the, the, the quiet internal quote was, you know, if UPS didn't F up 20,000 times a day, we wouldn't be a number one service brand because we got to make up for their mess ups and say, oh, don't worry, we'll take care of that. Oh my God, thank you so much. So without their mess ups, we couldn't have been a great service brand. So um, that's one of those stories that you only really hear from an insider of, about that. You don't hear that in the Harvard Business Review study. So I'm I'm curious what what some of those either pivots or discoveries or weirdness might be from inside Arkimoto that, that you'd only hear directly from, from Mark. Well,
1: right I, here. I'll give you a couple. Um, one is just the name of the product, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, for uh, even all the way through the eighth generation, it was the, it was the SRK, the Arkimoto SRK, which was, you know, the simple, reasonable kickass, um, <laughs> And, uh, and, but, and, and I w- I was sort of always selling it on save the planet. Uh, and we shot our first product video in the fall of 2016. Uh, and after that, a couple of the guys went, went back to, one of the, one of the, the houses and, and they, were, they were talking late into the night. Every time we would give these test rides and demos, people would come back and they're like, this is so much fun. This is, this is the most fun I've ever had driving. This is really fun. And we, should, we get that over and over and over again. Um, and that was where they, they were just talking. They're like, it's not SRK. It's fun utility vehicle. And I was like, FUV, I'm not, I'm not sure I can, can I, can I say that? And so it, when we first it was going to be the SRK, which was an FUV. And then finally, we're like, fuck it. It's the fun utility vehicle. Um, and, uh, and when we went public, uh, I, I had the choice of tickers. Um, Moto, which was Motorola, was a, a day or two away from becoming available. And so I, I called my mom and I was like, mom, it's, uh, it's down to MOTO or FUV. And she's like, you've got to go with FUV. So the reason we're at uh, FUV on NASDAQ is because of my mom. Got it. Um, and then the, the other story is, is how, we, how we pivoted the sort of the in-market experience model. You know, we've, from day one, we were planning to sell direct online and then have you know, kind of demo stores. Um, that was ultimately the, the approach Tesla took as well. Um, and then as we were driving them in city after city after city, people would just, as we were driving by, say, where did you rent that? How can I rent that? I, I wanna try that thing. And, and every time I just sort of say, well, you can't rent it. Uh, if they're not for rent, you can go to our website and put in a pre-order. Uh, and then John Fries, who was actually one of the inspirations behind Fun Utility Vehicle, finally he's like, hey, how about we turn that whole in-market experience model into a profit center? Mm-hmm. Because car companies, Spend a ton of money just to get you to try out their wares, and here we were, you know, people driving by us all the time saying, "I want to rent that thing." And we're like, uh, "No, you can't." So that was what started the the uh, Arkimoto Rental as our kind of primary uh, in market experience model.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I'm curious do you do you still find that you run experiments that that was always big for us at zappos and and they, they didn't always go well you know tony was had obsession with red bull and so the, uh you uh, randomly boxes would include it and then we realized that uh, a red bull can going through the ups postal system is not the best thing for a carbonated beverage especially when you're opening up with uh-huh. white clothes yeah. right so yeah. like that was an experiment gone wrong and then sometimes the experiments uh uh they they go they go well but he was always big about like let's just keep keeps trying stuff. And is, is that part of your culture too, of like, let's keep experimenting?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 right now, particularly on the, uh, on the sort of like marketing and engagement side and online, um, you know, video presence, just how do you, how do you really efficiently get people to become aware of what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And so we've got a really right now, a a crack team of very sharp people who are just constantly tweaking and tuning um, advertising and on through different channels and figuring out what is, you know, what's going to drive people to the product, uh, on the most cash efficient basis we possibly can. Um, I think the, on, on the product side, uh, you know, that was, that was certainly a feature of the first eight years was just really, you know, it was, it was sort of like, you know, there's gold in those hills. I don't know exactly where, but we're going to kind of triangulate in on it by building a prototype, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't move the drivetrain, move the battery, package the people differently, put different features on. Once we got to sort of that first real product idea that, that we thought would work, then it's, and, and I think this is a, an interesting thing about a, a vehicle company is that that difference between that ideation mode where you're, uh, where you're, where you're really trying lots of different things to see what works and then figuring out, okay, once we've got that, how do we reliably produce that a hundred percent every single time so that it, it, it works long-term for the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you, that takes two sort of very different approaches. You know, one is, is a very rigorous analytical engineering push. And then the other one is a lot of ideation design uh, kind of more of the the creative piece of the brain yeah. um and getting those two things to synergize as well is is also a real trick but i think that comes back to your question around values is like how do you get an engineer and an artist and a uh, finance person and whatever to be able to actually work together and use the same language having that core company value set is really critical yeah So
0: one of the exercises that some companies do um, in in terms of visioning the future is they'll uh, they'll they'll write an article from the future and say, okay this is what the press would say in the future. And that that makes it more than about numbers. And we sold this many units or this much revenue or profit. Um, It gives actual visualization of the story. So if you were to project massive success into the future 5 10 years like like what are you, some of the things you think you'd look back on that happened that would be that would be more interesting than just simply growth of numbers
1: um the 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 success of the company is the achievement of the mission and that's not just about what Arkimoto does right it's it's about sh- really shifting the way that we transport ourselves right sizing the footprint of mobility uh, to make our cities much more pleasant and to make the planet livable for future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's, it is it is not just about the products we build, but it's about inspiring, uh, in, inspiring other companies, inspiring people who are thinking about how do I want to get around and making better choices.
0: Right. I'm going to push you harder on this, though. OK, so sure.
1: like like what, when when
0: you guys, you know, visualize the future with this and I'll, I'll, I'll just think of, you know, r- random examples like, you know, Biden, instead of on his bike, it's on an Arkhamoto that's much safer yeah, we, and he rolls into well, the White House to, with it. Right. Biden, <laughs> like like what are very what are very tangible things that we would even see in articles right. and mo- headlines later?
1: I'll, I'll take that one. We need to get that. We need to get our president a mean, lean machine as soon right. as we can.
0: Right. So
1: what? um, Check that box. Okay. Um, I think the you know when I when I look out at the the city I live in, I think there's going to be a success point uh, in where where we really see a very different road, you know, where it's 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 so it's not just about the vehicles. It's like what imagine yourself in a on a residential street, and think this street really exists most of the time, so that one person can pass one other person. All that asphalt, that's that's what it's used for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the Arcimoto isn't just about the vehicle, it's about all the infrastructure that the vehicles move around. Mm-hmm. And once we actually, once we change that idea of, of right-size mobility, there's all this space that we can use for better community purpose, whether yeah. it's you know, socialization or yeah. or garden space
0: well, or whatever. I'm I, I still hear kind of this gap between amazing, amazing future and where you are now. So, for example, like I I, I personally would think of it as a, you know crazy person that I am is like okay, like we see we see kanye drive one to the awards show we see um at hertz rental car they've got a whole section of Arkhamotos that people like more than the cars because they're easier to use right like what are the uh, those and i don't mean to push you too hard i'm just i just really like your brand and what you're doing and want to see those those intermediate uh wins between where you are now and the huge changes to culture
1: well, well, but, but I, what I, I guess what I would say is, I think those things are the things you bring up are probably nearer term than you might think.
0: Well, that's why um, I'm trying to get them out of you.
1: <laughs> but, but, but also, even as it relates to the city that we're in, I mean, we're we're now uh, going to be pushing the city of Eugene to change not, not not just to let us build within our little postage stamp of the ramp site, mm-hmm. but we want to change the roads that connect into that site, and and start changing the connectivity of transportation um, to make it much more pleasant for the people. And I want to do that in the near ter- near term in the next couple of years. Got it. And then once we do it here, yeah. Seeing that happen to other places would be very cool too. Nice.
0: Nice. Um, cool. You know, this
1: is the sky crazy long-term thing. We're doing it now.
0: <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Um, so I noticed you're wearing this, the, the shirt of the brand, which is a cool logo. It's almost got this kind of uh, old school motorcycle brand feel to
1: it. Um, is An there a, a is there a, wings. what? An A with wings, <laughs> handmade by robots. <laughs> yes. Is there a fashion brand component to this? Uh, we do have a shoparkimoto.com store where mm-hmm. we have a number of great apparel items, including our, our go long johns. For the for the winter runs mm. uh, you know we got a lot of t-shirts and hats and fun stuff uh, We aim for highest highest uh, bar in terms of sustainable sourcing on our apparel so yeah you, you know I, sometimes I
0: wonder about um, there's there's that approach there's actually this brand called Cookies I don't know if you've heard of it it's it's a cannabis brand but they have a fashion line I, I don't I don't have I don't buy their their, their cannabis products but I love their shirt because it's such a cool logo and I, I, I like getting that. Um we'll, it's, we'll hook it's just you
1: up with some merch. What? We hook some, um, we'll hook you yeah, up. Yeah, please merch. do.
0: But the other angle I was thinking, because that's that's a very consumer focused, like it, it, they literally have a whole fashion store aside from the, the the that brand. The other approach I'm really intrigued by is the Red Bull approach, where you you literally can't buy Red Bull gear. If you see somebody wearing like the real Red Bull gear, they're actually a sponsored athlete because they don't let really? you buy it. Um, yeah, if you, if you, if you, there, there, there's very few that you'll see very, very few. If you see somebody with a, a Red Bull helmet or jacket or, or hat, like they're actually a sponsored athlete, which I thought is really cool that you, you can't buy the Red Bull gear without being one of those athletes.
1: Well, I, I, I think we, we want as many people as possible to be wearing the brand in it because you can't buy an Arkimoto out of a seven 11, uh, cooler at the moment. <laughs> but I, I I appreciate that approach well having some some kind of signature unique items is is critical, but for for the most part we we want to get the word out there
0: yeah, yeah, very nice. well, anything else that would uh be good to share about your 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 culture any words of wisdom to other entrepreneurs who are who are starting a zero to one and creating a whole category
1: uh i you know Based on this experience that we've had over the last year of culture development and really solidifying those, that values piece, to me, the, the, the biggest challenge uh, you know, of, of growth has been leadership. Um, and this, uh, my, my dad was a, a, a huge uh, fan, well, a, a teacher of leadership theory. Um, and he was sort of, he was firmly convinced that leadership is latent within all of us, that it's something that can be taught, something that can be learned, and its pursuit is of the highest importance. And as as we've gone on, there have been certainly huge technical challenges, financing challenges, um, you know, just uh, the the struggle of bolting things together and schlepping them around the country. But the biggest challenge has been how do you get people who come from very different backgrounds and walks of life and literally different cultures, right? Different areas of the world, different languages, uh, different disciplines. How do you get all those people to come in and mesh and start rowing in the same direction? That is, the further we've gone on, the more it's been clear that that has been our biggest challenge. Um, And so probably the first piece of advice would be to take culture seriously as an entrepreneur, even when you're starting. Um, And then the second thing is, is, you know, make sure that you're doing something that you actually care about. Because it's that, for me at least, there have been, uh, I've had to really sort of change my persona in order to move forward through various phases of the company. Uh, and so I think that doing, the, doing something that you are truly passionate about, that becomes this kind of grinding stone of character uh, where, where you get to choose, do I care about, the ways that I don't interact well, more than I care about this mission. Mm. And if you care about the mission more, then you start to fix yourself.
0: Mm. Well said, well said, wise words. Well, thank you, Mark. It's an honor and pleasure to have you here. Thanks for being on Culture Hackers.
1: Hey, Robbie, I really appreciate you bringing me on the show and, and thank you again for, uh, for your words of wisdom and coaching. They, I put them to immediate use.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Glad to hear My pleasure.